We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. We're only interested in one thing. Can you tell a story, Bob? Can you make us laugh? Can you make us cry? Can you make us want to break out? Enjoy us all. We move fast. Can you take it? No matter what you do now, you're still part of everything that's happening. Used to be in silent pictures. Used to be big. I am big. It's the pictures that got small. We need more heart in motion pictures. You know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. Listen to me, Hatcher. You're gonna tell him. I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Are you listening? The Boulevard of Broken Dreams. We're making another movie. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Welcome to the Sword Cinema Podcast. This week we're going to be taking a look at 1992's White Men Can't Jump, written and directed by Ron Shelton. Here's a clip. Oh, it is hard work being this good. Oh, oh, it hurts. Oh, it hurts. Come on, baby. Give it up. Turn it loose. It's not about black. I don't mean to brag, but I'm the greatest. That's because you never saw me. It's not about white. Honey, I'm home. How much money did you make today? I missed you, too. I'm sorry, honey. It's about green. I want to find out how good you are, chump. I'm your white shadow. I have a business proposal for you, as if you don't mind hustling. What kind of hustle? $500, baby, and you can pick my teammate. Give him the chump. You mean play basketball? I love you, Infinity. Oh, Billy, you're so stupid. You should have said I love you, Infinity, plus Infinity. We shoot you, Billy! There are rules to hustling. There's an ethics involved. Yeah, that you wouldn't know a damn thing about. <laughs> Will you explain to this Gladys Knight and the pips? It's pips! The pips! Winning and losing is all one big organic lobby. I hate it when you talk like that. You got that big Z in your fro, man. What are you, the black Zorro? What are you doing? I'm doing two things. What? I'm making them mad. Most guys don't play good when they're mad. Look, you know you're embarrassing me. That's what you're doing. Yeah, well, that's the other thing I'm doing. I only have four words for you. White men can jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, that was a clip from 1992's White Men Can't Jump, again, written and directed by Ron Shelton, starring Woody Harrelson, Wesley Snipes, and Rosie Perez. Joining me to talk about this movie that he picked is Ricky D. We going sizzler, we going sizzler. <laughs> God, how many of how many lines from this movie are you going to quote during the course of this podcast? I think I can quote the entire film. This is the movie, Patrick, I've seen the most times. I've seen this movie at least once every summer or spring. The movie came out in 1992. We are now 2021. 
and this week alone i've watched it three times uh simon howell can you match that no i've only watched it one and a half times uh all for this podcast i don't care about basketball um i don't really i i've never seen a ron shelton film that's right i've never seen bull durham um i don't give a i actually give even less of a fuck about baseball than i do about basketball because basketball is at least enjoyable to watch it's a very good movie Um, whereas baseball is sort of notoriously boring as shit we're going to come at this movie from completely different angles because Bull Durham is my favorite sports movie of all time and baseball is my favorite sport of all time. I know. Um, I know. I knew all that before I said those words. <laughs> so. Actually, Simon, I'm not a big, huge fan of baseball. I sort of like it. I liked it back in the days so where I can actually see a baseball team live, which would be the Expos. But I really, really do remember that movie being awesome. I mean, <laughs> look, I'm not I, I don't care about sports. I don't care about sports movies. Um, don't care about Ron Shelton. Didn't even know sitting down to watch this movie whether Ron Shelton was a white guy or a black guy. Um, I well, I I, I, I let's just say He's I took an old a, white guy now. Let's just say I took a guess and I was right. Um, <laughs> but uh, I will say I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Uh, not even necessarily as a basketball movie, although there is plenty of basketball playing in it. Um, oh yeah. But uh, I I mostly enjoyed it as a movie about. Uh, normal normal men being normal with each other. I think if everyone on the planet watched this movie, it would be a better world. We would all realize that we can solve our problems on the basketball court. It's a great movie. <laughs> it's got a beautiful message. Teamwork. Um, you either get smoked or you get smoked. What? So I think... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you did that one right. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> Mind you, a lot of the dialogue in this movie makes no sense. And the more it makes no sense, the funnier it is. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I honestly don't know what they're saying half the time. So I come from I don't play basketball. Like I I tried to when I was a kid. I just never got into it. For me it was a game any game where you can score like a hundred times each game, like I just lost interest in it. That's all. Um and I went the best part of of basketball to me. (laughs) I know some people like that. I don't. I like I like when it's hard to score. I like hockey, baseball, football, and you know. I could even I could even do soccer, I guess. Um, hell, I'll watch golf before I'll watch basketball. And I golf, do love golf is a disgusting non-sport. Awful. I, <laughs> Worse even than baseball. Oh man, I love golf. I love playing golf anyway. Um, and I could definitely watch it. <laughs> disgusting. More than basketball. <laughs> So, so for me, part of the barrier to this movie, and Simon, you obviously would have had a barrier too, is you you aren't there out there playing playing street basketball. Apparently, I couldn't get into the movie as like the characters as much because maybe I don't understand the world, and that's what I sort of want Rick to sort of verify the authenticity of this because Bull Durham I know inside and out, and that movie is baseball. Like it knows baseball really well. Does white men can't jump know basketball as well as Bull Durham knows baseball? Oh, we're gonna start the podcast talking about that. I mean, sort of. Yes, I was. I was talking. <laughs> I, about, that's, that's I mean, my no, no, no. It's, it's, it's a fair question. I was talking to Patrick about this off air, and the thing about streetball. Now, remember, this is streetball. The thing about streetball is everyone who plays streetball thinks they're Michael Jordan, and the honest to god truth is, most people who play streetball can't play basketball, and that's why I do think that the movie sort of is authentic in the sense that. Everyone on the court, they spend more time arguing 
and insulting each other and thinking that they're better than everyone else when they are really not than actually playing basketball. And I think it's only fitting that they cast Wesley Snipes in the movie instead of someone like Denzel Washington, because Wesley Snipes can't really play basketball. Like he's athletic and he clearly trained. And I would love to know how many times they had to do specific takes to actually get him to do something like say a behind the back pass or, or dunk the basketball, but just watching him play, like you can tell he doesn't really know how to play basketball. He carries every single time he dribbles. He carries the ball every single time he dribbles drives me nuts. So (laughs) it kind of is like that street ball. Like people do talk shit. There's a lot of trash talking. It's all about looking good. The clothes you wear. It's, it's all like a facade. It's all just bullshit. And I think the casting of Woody Harrelson, who actually did play college basketball and Wesley Snipes, who never really played basketball. I think it works because Woody Harrelson's character, Billy, is supposed to be the better player. And he is like he is. You you don't have to be a huge basketball fan to not notice that he only misses one shot in the entire film. So I've never been to Venice Beach, but I can tell you that. The reason I'm obsessed with this film is because when I was younger and I watched it for the first time, I rented it on VHS back in the days when we had mom and pa video stores. And I rented the movie so many times that the owner, because, you know, back then with the mom and pa video stores, everybody knew everybody's name. So the owner actually sold me uh, his used VHS copy for like five dollars because I would always rent the movie. So, in the, you know, he was doing me a favor, like save some money, just buy the VHS copy. Right. I watched this movie over and over and over to the point where I was actually able to do every single one of the trick shots and anything that they do in the movie, like be it like the double spin behind the back, the reverse dunk, the between your legs in the air, you name it. I was able to do every single thing on the basketball court. So the the half court hook shot. Did you do that one? Okay, I was never good at a hook shot, so no. But, I mean, when they're actually playing the game of basketball, you're like, yeah. And it's weird because when this movie came out, like, it came out in 1992. 1993 was, like, in my opinion, the best year of hip-hop ever. Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Cypress Hills, Funk Dubious. I mean, the list goes on and on. The Fugees. It was just hit after hit after hit after hit. And that is also when the And One mixtapes came out. And so everyone became obsessed with Streetball. And it just changed everything. This movie just came out at the right time, like right before hip hop exploded, right before the and one mixtapes and streetball exploded onto the world. So I became obsessed with this film. But to answer your question, I do I do think it is sort of like authentic and real. I mean, <laughs> but they do mess up in the in the in the movie though, because like for example, it's losers ball. But for whatever reason, the winner takes it or vice versa. So like they create these rules within the in, within their pickup games and in the in the movie, they actually break the rules. So there is no continuity. Yeah, I, I wondered about that a little bit as I was watching it. It just seemed to me like they would score and then they'd immediately get the ball right back. I thought that was kind of weird, but I, I also didn't understand like half of what was going on in the basketball scenes. Uh, he, he definitely like he choreographs the basketball really well really well for for visually visually I, i'm not gonna say for authenticity because yeah, i think you just explained how it's not necessarily so here's the thing i watched he got game last night and i watched it because denzel washington stars in that film the spike lee film and they actually hired real nba players and when i say nba players we're talking about future hall of famers like ray allen is the star of that film ray allen who won a championship with boston and later with miami heat 
that Ray Allen, right? And it's so funny how they hire professional basketball players, future Hall of Famers, and there's barely any basketball in that movie. And in White Man Can't Jump, 50% of the movie is basketball, and they hire non-professional basketball players, including one actor who never played basketball. So apart from Raymond, who used to actually play in the NBA, nobody in this movie played for the NBA. There's a few guys that played in Division Three or college, but he's really the only guy. And by the way, I think that's my favorite scene in the movie when Raymond goes to, the, to get his gun in the car. Um, but oh. apart from Raymond, I think he's the only professional basketball player in the movie. Yeah, and did he play for UCLA or something like that? I think it was John Wooden. No, he he played for um he played for the Clippers. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and he got injured. Well, okay. <clears throat> you know, we've talked a lot about basketball and, you know, what's in this movie and what people can expect. But the way I've been trying to sell this movie to people is it's actually two movies including a free episode of Jeopardy. <laughs> Right. So it's yeah. like it's like a it's like a movie that contains a bonus movie, um, because that's what that's it's a what mix the of genres that's what the to me it's not so much a mix of genres as like you know it's an hour long movie about basketball but then it's also a forty five minute movie about Rosie Perez's hero's journey. No, it's a mix of genres. There's a sports movie. There's a Shaggy Dog tale. There's a um you know sort of like a crime pick. There's a love story. I think I think what we have here is we have the battle of the sexes because there is the whole story between Wesley Snipes and his wife and Woody Harrelson and his wife and how they don't seem to ever be on the same page and they have different priorities in life. And then there is the battle that takes place on the playground. And at the end of the movie, what I what I find fascinating, especially for a Hollywood film, is it doesn't really technically have a happy ending because Woody, Billy, Woody Harrelson's book, Billy, loses the girl, Rosie Perez. He loses her at the end, like Gloria. They break up. But his bond with uh, Sydney is so strong that they continue their friendship. Well, plus he dunked. So he that's true. That. <clears throat> that's true. He he overcame E.D., <laughs> or whatever the metaphor is, but um, the well, it's funny that you mentioned the battle of the sexes, also because I came away from this movie thinking, yes, this is a movie about the battle of the sexes, and Ron Shelton declares a clear victor uh, in that battle, and it is not men. He he kind of always does, though. So if you've seen, you haven't seen too many Ron Shelton movies, no, like none, that's what actually. He, that's what he does in Bull Durham. Like Susan Sarandon is clearly is the clear winner over Costner's you know ball player, and even in Tin Cup, like Rene Russo is the clear winner over Costner's kind of loser golfer. Like he yeah. definitely he definitely writes his is not that they're always right or that they're always doing like sometimes they do stupid stuff, and that's part of what makes Susan Sarandon's character so great. Is that you know she's just as stupid at times and willing to be and just as desperate, but in the end, her side does like her philosophy ends up winning out for the most part. What the fuck do you want, huh? And who invited you in my house anyway? I did, and I want to talk to what's your name? Glory. Glory. Look, baby, that man hustled me long before I ever hustled him. Hey, that's <laughs> true, Ron. That's sort of whole thing. You damn skippy. So what goes around? comes around that's it. Yep. you won't mind if gloria and i have a little talk you want something to drink please come on now Run. this boy got a Woo! lot of good silly ho it's good to see you billy you look swell yep that's right you fucked me oh get the hell out of the tv man half in your ass 
You fucked me! We had a partnership. No, we were never partners. Look, man, it goes like this. You either smoke or you get smoked. And you got smoked. <laughs> Clean as my gun. Yes, it was. Smooth. A thing of beauty is a joy forever. Thank you too deep on you. Hey, Sydney, would you get this guy to shut the fuck up? I'm sorry. I'll go back to the way you like the IG. That's fine. I'm sorry. 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 All right. No bullshit here. I want my money back. Oh, you're not getting the money back. Oh, yes, I am. Because you're going to give me my money back. I'm not giving you nothing. Philly and Sydney were teammates. Teammates can't hustle each other. Oh, really? Why not? It's not artistic. Let me tell you something. I don't care about art, okay? All I care about is getting out of the damn Vista View apartment building because there ain't no Vista, there ain't no views, and there sure as hell ain't no Vista of no views. I think a lot of people say this movie has a lot to say about race and race issues, and I don't see it. I think that's it. completely not true. This movie is more about the battle of sex. It's like, yes, he casts Rosie Perez, and yes, and she's Puerto Rican, right? And yes, he casts, you know, of course, Wesley Snipes, and then, and then you have the white guy, Woody Harrelson, but it's not really about race it's more about relationships race is a red herring in this movie i mean i know that it's in the title uh but like the, uh, the, really the only through line involving race is this running argument that uh that the two main characters have about how white people and black people play basketball i guess you you could extrapolate that to behave and some of woody's language is a little uh needlessly uh needlessly inflammatory let's say but the movie takes no the movie just treats this as bullshitting it doesn't take it seriously at all no they're passing conversations i think that i think the idea is because woody harrelson like he doesn't really dress cool like he's kind of like a dork and he even says in the movie he's like uh, the white man, or I, I care about winning, you care about looking good first. And so there's this whole idea, and this is what I was telling Patrick off there, is when it comes to streetball, like I said, a lot of them don't know how to play real basketball, but everyone goes in and they want to look good and want like they put on this facade. It's all fake, right? And everybody knows they're not that good, but everyone thinks or tries to sell themselves as being good. And a part of that comes with the way you dress and the way you talk, the way you trash talk, the way you dress. Look at how Wesley Snipes' character dresses in this movie, right? There's no reason for him to be that flashy, but he needs to look good on the yeah. court. Why is he wearing two identical but differently colored little shirts? Why is he wearing short shorts over biker shorts? Why is he wearing that backwards golf cap? Whatever. It's it's weird, but that's the thing, right? And because Woody Harrelson comes from a different place. He travels to California to go to this specific neighborhood where these people are struggling and you know they're not they're pretty much poor or on the verge of being poor. Uh, they're trying to get out of the neighborhood, move into a better neighborhood. So for them, there is it is sort of important for them to kind of look good, you know, as, as often as they can, if that makes any sense. And they bring that and 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 translates on the basketball court. But Woody Harrelson comes from a different background, so he doesn't feel that sort of uh, desire to have to look good on the court. Like you know, I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. To yeah. The... Well, there's there's different styles of playing professional basketball, and I think that also meshes with the philosophies on basketball because there are basketball coaches who are you know teams that will emphasize fundamentals right but fundamentals are boring what people want to see in basketball is posterizing right, right? exactly like, exactly and that's kind of what the you know is sort of dissipated or maybe it came from street basketball culture i don't know but it's kind of it, it kind of 
blends with that. I mean, look, if you look at the famous N1 mixtapes, very few, if any, if not, none of those guys ever made it to the NBA. They're all super popular to this day. They still have like YouTube channels and they played overseas, but they didn't have the fundamentals. They couldn't actually hit a jump shot. So, yeah, the professor has like one of the best handles and dribbles in all in, in of anyone in the world, but he never made the NBA. He wasn't good enough. But I got to tell you, when when I was younger and even to this day, to some extent, like if if I like I I owned like every single piece of like whatever that they wear in her clothes I had when I was a kid. I'm telling you guys, I was obsessed with this movie. <laughs> there's one scene when he does the hook shot. There's this dude in the background wearing this crazy amazing like uh, Magic Johnson tank top. It looks like a graffiti on a mural. I have or I used to have that tank top. I had of course the Jordan jersey, the Magic Johnson jersey, like you name it. But the point is, when I used to show up on the basketball court as a kid, if I had my Reebok pumps. And if I had my basketball jersey and I felt that I looked good, I just, for whatever reason, it, it gave me the confidence and I played better on the court. And I know a lot of my friends always said the same thing. If they felt they looked good on the court, that's all that mattered, even if they lost the game. Can I <clears throat> can I make a strange comparison, having only seen this movie 1.5 times, to what it made me think of? It mainly made me think of that this is sort of, in a way what it would be like if David Mamet made a basketball movie. Yes. Like, <laughs> explain for anyone who doesn't know. So David Mamet, I mean, he's the guy who wrote Spanish Prisoner and, uh, God, what's the, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, yes. House of Games. Yep. <clears throat> uh, Wag the Dog. Lots of stuff. It's Tons. kind of a, it's kind of a nutcase now. But anyway, yeah. um, <clears throat> his daughter is Ocean Mammoth. Anyway, he made a bunch of really idiosyncratic, really fun, interesting movies in the late 80s to early 90s. I will pick one of them one of these days for us to talk about on the show. But the movie that this one really reminded me of is not one of my favorites, uh, but it is on Criterion. It's called House of Games. And the reason it reminded me so much of House of Games, one... It's full of these two guys trying to con each other over and over uh, to varying levels. I mean, this movie is way more sentimental than David Mamet would ever get. Um, but uh, the the way that they're sort of toying with each other all the time, very Mamet-esque. And the other Mamet-esque thing, especially tying in with House of Games, uh, the Spanish prisoner also has a little of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it is constantly fucking with you about what the stakes of the movie are. Uh, like in the, in the first hour, there's all this stuff with Woody Harrelson and these two loan sharks. They're going they're They're sort of on the run from, they've got these photos of people they've killed. Um, and, you the know, Stucci and, and brothers, I, man, the, the Stucci, Stucci brothers. brothers. Yeah. You've got characters flashing guns and knives. Um, and, uh, and it's also never like for a long time, it's really not clear. Like what's the deal with Wesley Snipes and his life. And like, what is, what does he get out of this? Um, and then slowly over time, you come to realize, well, none of the people who are threatening violence are actually like for real violent, like as far as we can tell. Uh, and also Wesley Snipes has a totally like stable home life that isn't threatened by any of this at all. <laughs> I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's it's all like a show. Like it's like they step onto the court and they're pretending to be something that they are not like, I mean, okay. Apart from Raymond, because that dude is like actually nuts and crazy. And apparently that story was actually based on a true story in which the director, Ron Shelton used to play ball somewhere around Venice beach. And one day he showed up and they locked everything up and he's like, what's going on? And he's like, Oh yeah. So-and-so went to the glove department, got a gun and came back to the court and tried to shoot someone. So they had to lock down the basketball court. So that's where he got that story from. Right. But no, you're totally right. Like, a lot of these guys, they they try to act like they're 
big time hustlers or I don't know, like it's just, it's bullshit. It's phony. And I think the, the person that reads into it is, is like, is uh what's her face? Um, to some extent, uh, Gloria, yeah. like, like I know she's on the run from the Stucci brothers too. And she's like afraid that they, they might actually kill her, but I think she is probably like the smartest character in the film. Uh, I mean, I think she's even smarter than, um, <clears throat> than uh tyrell farrell's character Rhonda, which is who's married to sydney well she she is a little bit of a manic drixie uh, manic pixie dream puerto rican um like she's just not like she's not fully a real believable person however i'm not exactly complaining because rosie perez is so fucking entertaining in this movie well she's the most polarizing character you either Absol- love oh her i, I completely understand her. that completely understand yeah I can understand I being Puerto Rican and finding the character a little bit much. <laughs> <laughs> right. I I just feel that this is an unconventional sports movie. I, 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 I think it's one of the best sports movies I've ever seen. And I, I do think it's highly entertaining. Like if you can get past the first 20 minutes, because the first 20 minutes of this movie sets up almost every single character on the basketball court and it's 20 minutes of basketball, that's what you need to get past if you're not a fan of basketball. And so I think, Simon, you were telling me a story about how you're trying to get your roommates to watch it and they wouldn't watch it because they couldn't sit through the first 20 minutes, right? Yeah, uh, so I I live with uh, a couple of women, and I I refer to them as the council um, whenever I talk about how they react to stuff that that I show them or ask for advice or anything. And uh, the council loved Ravenous last week. They loved Rabbit. I cannot I cannot tell you how much they had a great time with that movie. Uh, but uh, White Man Catch Up, I had a really difficult time getting them on the hook with. And what was what was the obstacle that that you found? I basketball? think it was I do. I, well, I think it was a combination of uh, of basketball. basketball. And I think it was just it was timing. I think we started too late and it didn't hook them quickly enough and everyone got tired. I will Look, say that it, energy it, levels are low in a pandemic. What can I tell you? <laughs> the duplicity can sometimes turn people off. I mean, you mentioned House of Games, and there's nobody really likable in House of Games uh, either. I, and like with a lot of David Mamet movies, you, you never really attach yourself to any sort of hero. No, yeah, David because... Mamet's movies aren't aren't full of that. That's their Achilles heel is he loves dialogue, but he's not that fond of people and often not that fond of characters. Right. And so you can admire his movies a lot of time and you may enjoy what, listening to them, but you never really attach yourselves to the characters too much. And I think that can happen a little bit here too. It did for me because I, I, I remember at one point thinking like, who am I supposed to like in this movie? Because they're all screwing each other over towards the beginning. <laughs> and also the, the, there's like a real edge to the Woody Harrelson character. That mm-hmm. like makes he's him difficult. Psychological problems. He has some problems. He's like qu- he's quite verbally abusive at times, uh, in a way that like you wouldn't like if he was the lead character in a romantic comedy, he would not be talking like that. You know, no. This this movie could not get made today because of his sort of. I I don't want to use the word abusive, but the way he treats Gloria. I mean, he 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 throws water in her face. He talks down to her. He's condescending. Um, I mean, Doesn't I don't shut up a few times. Which yeah, is exactly. Jarring. I don't, I don't blame her for leaving him, but also like even the movie itself, like Patrick saying like, like, who do you root for? That's not necessarily a bad thing. Cause it is a movie about two common. We've seen it done in the past. Sure. But, but at the same time, like, I mean, like even like the, okay. The movie itself is sort of like ballsy just with the title, like white men can't jump. Like, like what would happen in 2021? <laughs> like we would have, 
a riot. We would have like a bunch of people signing a petition online. We would have like 20,000 think pieces about why this is problematic. Um, it's, it's, it's such a strange movie. Like I don't think it can get made today in 2021 by a Hollywood studio. The fact that it has so much basketball, like I've seen lots of basketball movies and I've never seen a movie with so much basketball to the point where the first 20 minutes is all on the basketball court. And it's a, it's a basketball movie from the early nineties with almost no hip hop in it. Okay. Which by the way, again, released in 1992 i think if this movie was made a year later it would be full of hip-hop there is there is hip-hop there's about five tracks there's a little bit like there's a song this is the hook this is the hook right and then there's a cypress hill i think gangstar but anyways the point is if this movie was released a year later when hip-hop really exploded i think we would have a different movie in terms of the soundtrack but also in terms of like hollywood not making this type of film nowadays in 2021 here you have a movie which chooses Wesley Snipes, who at the time was not popular because King of New York and New Jack City weren't out yet when they cast them. And you take Woody Harrelson, who was the fifth lead in a sitcom who had never acted in a movie before. And then you have this 20 minute sequence with Alex Trebek and Jeopardy. And then you have <laughs> Kadeem Hardison at his absolute best, who's like the sidekick yeah, the Robin to the Batman for Wesley Snipes of Sydney. I mean, this is such a bizarre, bizarre uh, movie in terms of like how they made it and who they cast. And then, of course, Rosie Perez, who wasn't do the right thing, but that's about it. Right. D- can I just mention two strange things about the lead performances? Also, one of one of which is Woody Harrelson, you know, great actor, very charismatic fellow. His father murdered a judge, which is interesting. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> just throwing that out there. Uh, but um, he hadn't quite grown into that face of his yet. And he's just a really weird looking dude to spend a lot of time looking at. Um, and I'm not, I'm not complaining. It's just like, not like a ballsy choice for a, uh, for basically a lead role. Second thing I want to mention is that uh, if you only know Wesley Snipes from like blade and maybe other recent genre movies, uh, you may not know that this motherfucker can get really, really goofy. And he is so off the wall goofy in this. And it's so, so much fun to watch. He's got so much charisma. I I just love his performance. I, I think He's incredible. That, I think the reason why the movie works is because of the chemistry between him and Woody Harrelson. I think that if you had put Denzel Washington in this movie, you might have had an actor who can play basketball better than Wesley Snipes. But I don't think he would have the same kind of movie. I don't think it would have the same comedic tone. And I don't think it would be as goofy. Wesley Snipes makes the chemistry, too. I don't think that yeah. Woody Harrelson does nearly as much work. Not that he's bad or anything. He's fine for his character. But I don't think he makes that chemistry. He's driving that relationship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But did you guys read about the making of the movie? There was a, a famous article released on Grantland way back when Grantland was a thing. And everyone and their mom auditioned for this movie for all for all like all the roles. Like it was like because, you know, whenever you read about the making of a movie, you always hear like, oh, it was supposed to go to so and so. But it went to like Stallone. Right. But in this movie, it was like the lineup of actors. It was insane. I don't know why everyone wanted to be in a basketball movie. It, It was just nuts. Like even like Rosie Perez's character, like she actually got the role over several, quote unquote, A list actors. And, you know, they auditioned everyone from Charlie Sheen to John Cusack to Keanu Reeves to you name it. But at the end of the day, Ron Shelton said that he chose Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes because Wesley Snipes was the best at trash talking and they just had the best chemistry. Mm -hmm. Plus, of course, it helps that Woody Harrelson played basketball in college. Yeah. 
But also, you know, the, the things that people don't talk about, the clothes, the fashion, and this might sound stupid, but not really, because here you have uh, your costume designer, Francine Jamison Tanchuk is her name. I had to look this up. So her costumes in this movie are pretty freaking cool for what's supposed to be just a very simple movie about streetball because people actually wear or dress up like Sydney and and uh, Billy for Halloween and at and at comic cons like at, at conventions. It sounds stupid, but like the clothes that they wear, it's not just like it's very nineties, but she adds its own little touch to it. So it's not just that it's from the nineties, but it's specifically iconic to this movie. I know people and I'm talking pre pandemic, you know, every now that it's, it's been the pandemic for a while. So people are really just wearing whatever the fuck they want to wear. But I mean, pre pandemic, a, a, a friend of mine dresses exactly, exactly like Sydney does on the court. Just with the, every with day. the cycle cap. Or sorry, not uh, sorry, not the way Sydney does. The way Billy does. Oh, everybody dresses like Billy at this point. Sorry. <laughs> it's. I mean, it is insane how much I've seen Billy's fit everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But Billy's fit is kind of like you're lazy or you just don't want to spend a lot of money on clothes because you prefer to spend your money on other things. So you just kind of buy whatever, whatever. Generic. Yeah, but but no, there's a specific aesthetic. It's not just whatever. He he wears cargo shorts. And he has like that copyright whatever T-shirt there. And he wears the, ha- the, the cap backwards. But I don't know. He's kind of bland. I just like the way everyone else dresses in the movie. And, and also I... like the sets too, like. Because they did shoot in California, and I've never been to Venice Beach, but I've been to California specifically in and around that area, and it never looks that pretty. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that they built sets or they shot most of the movie on a studio lot, but I also know that they, they did shoot on location too. And I think they used like the community to, um, like, they got a bunch of, like, you know, they went to a bunch of community centers and whatever and got a bunch of kids to actually. Um, spray paint the background or do like a big huge mural like a graffiti mural in the background to just mm. like make it look nicer because the, the setting is kind of I mean I kind of want to go to Venice Beach watching this movie but then you go on YouTube you look at what Venice Beach really looks like and you're like okay that's clearly a movie right <laughs> yeah it doesn't look too bad in this movie it's sunny it's kind of nice there's some flavor to it yeah, but, the weather's uh, always perfect yeah which to be fair LA is, you know, more often than not, you are going to get that sunny weather, I guess. But nevertheless, it looks a little too vacationy in this movie. Yeah, yeah. the The soundtrack is interesting too because, like Simon said, they could have just gone with hip hop music, but instead, like the movie opens with the Venice Venice Beach Boys, and it actually closes with the Venice Beach Boys, and so they do a cappella gospel version of whatever song, both at the opening and the closing, and I like that. I thought it was a really unique way to open and close a film. And it's also a, a really fun way to establish the tone. It's a way to say, like, okay, it's going to look a little bit hairy at various points, but really the stakes are not going to get that that they're not going to get too big, you know? I still think they should have made a sequel to the movie that followed Rosie Perez and her, her, her dreams of Jeopardy supremacy. Oh yeah. What happened to her? Did she continue to dominate or what? I mean, I assumed after that she became the fucking UN secretary general or something. <laughs> I mean, was she the Ken Jennings of the day? That's what I'm that thinking, man. I'm thinking that she would have continued to win. It would it would have been nice to get a little coda or something to I mean, just... would you dare stand in her way? I would not. <laughs> I 
I would just fear the sheer entertainment of getting defeated or getting beaten by her. I like how she ends up wearing a hoochie mama dress to Jeopardy, even though she makes fun of it. Yeah, that was really cute. I don't think I don't think she had too many other choices at the Maybe time. Maybe not. And that's what kind of I, that's what made their situation so interesting is that they had aspirations towards better things, but they really did not have the resources. Yeah, well, and also their aspirations were so different. Um, they, they didn't seem to connect at all. And yet, another thing, another piece of casting that really works is that Harrelson and Perez are really good together. Like they've yes. got they've got spark. Yeah, because she had the hots for him. Like, I'm pretty sure she did seduce him. Like, because she says that in an interview, when she first met him, she she couldn't take her eyes off of him. So the chemistry is real. I will say, I don't I don't personally get it, but I do agree that you can't stop looking at him because he's such a goofy looking fucker. He really is. And the character of Woody in Cheers also made you like, you were sort of drawn to Woody Harrelson simply because of that character too. Like, in terms of um, the supporting cast, like if I'm going to like talk basketball jive here and i had to do my starting lineup i i don't know who i would choose like clearly wesley snipes and woody harrelson are like my backcourt they're my two all-stars and but then like do you take like who do you take do you do you put alex trebek in there because he's like the greatest game show host (laughs) of all time even though it's just a cameo appearance do you put rosie perez even though she's like a polarizing uh casting choice or do you leave her as a sixth man you know i do you I, put Kadeem Hardison in the starting lineup? When she lineup? comes off the bench, she's going to like become the highest scoring person on the team. Rosie Perez yeah, is true. the one that yeah. had the most going on for her. Exactly. Yeah. She would be the most valuable six men. And you put Kadeem Hardison in the starting lineup with um, with Marquise Johnson, who plays Raymond, who used to actually play in the NBA. I um, think she's a six man in this movie. You know, the the other thing about Rosie Perez is I, I, I think that another thing that would have happened if this movie ha- had been buried in a time capsule and only released in 2021 for the first time, truly the worst of all possible fates. Um, <laughs> if that happened, yes. I think a lot, a certain type of person would watch this and say, Oh, Rosie Perez. She's such a Mary Sue in this, but like, no, she's not because she, we see her drilling constantly for this jeopardy thing. We see her in cars, still studying like, we see her everywhere, always on the grind. And I, li- I like that Ron Shelton makes sure to put in the time to say she is really working her ass off on this and only this. Yeah, I don't. I, she completely earns it. I don't see any of the... Uh, this isn't some magic power that she happens to have. And you can tell, look, the way that she speaks, too. She speaks so quickly. There is a brain there that is firing on all cylinders with the way that she talks. Yeah, and it's funny because I, I feel like I've I've often seen Rosie Perez cast as like someone quite dim-witted, like in a, in other films. Uh, and it's which and seeing her here as someone who's like, as you say, kind of it's it's kind of like she's taken that drug from uh, um that uh, the the drug that that activates all parts of your brain, like in that Robert De Niro movie. Oh, limitless. Right, right. It's like she's taken the limitless drug and everyone else is just operating at normal speed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's thinking things through. She's yeah. making plans when other people are still trying to catch up with the current conversation. Yeah. She, they're they're just having a, a friendly chat in the living room and she runs in with a loaded pistol. Yeah. <laughs> like literally. For real. She's the one that's taking care of business. She's the one who actually gets the money to pay off the Stucci brothers. She's the one who wins Jeopardy. Like, yes. Uh, Billy did sort of get her on Jeopardy by landing the hook shot and, you know, 
forming a deal with uh, what's his face, but she doesn't know that. And it doesn't matter. She doesn't need to know that she's getting, she's getting the job done. Oh, by the way, something I did not realize after, like I've watched this movie like 40 plus times. I told Simon this like earlier this week, I realized that they totally screw up the, the total, like the subtraction and the addition of, uh, when they, when she plays Jeopardy, like every time she gets an, a question wrong or mm-hmm. right, it doesn't make any sense the way to add it and subtract it. It's completely botched in editing. It's almost or or maybe the whole movie is saying the scores are jumbled because we're seeing the legend, we're seeing the memory, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing the vision, the dream. I love her in this movie, and I think she adds like I, I don't know how to explain it. Like I think if they had cast who was it going to be like i think holly hunter or something it would have just been like this boring ass like subplot or romantic angle thrown into the movie that just wouldn't work and wouldn't be interesting to watch at all but there's something about her character and again her chemistry with woody harrelson that she kind of steals the show like when they go to sydney's house and she knocks on a door and she's chewing her bubble gum and she's like, I need to talk to you because your man stole my man's money. And then she walks <laughs> into the kitchen and like, she's just like, try- and she's trying to dominate and like, you know, she's in someone else's house. And, but I don't know, she has this like swagger and confidence to her and she's funny. I think it- she's funny and cute. When I said I was thirsty, it doesn't mean I want you to bring me a glass of water. Doesn't? missing the whole point of me saying I'm thirsty. If I have a problem, you're not supposed to solve it. Men always make the mistake of thinking they can solve a woman's problem. Makes them feel omnipotent. Omnipotent? Did you have a bad dream? It's a way of controlling a woman. Bringing them a glass of water? Yes. I read it in a magazine. See, if I'm thirsty, I don't want you to bring me a glass of water. I want you to sympathize. I want you to say, Gloria, I too know what it feels like to be thirsty. I too have had a dry mouth. I want you to connect with me through sharing and understanding the concept of dry mouthedness. This is all in the same magazine? You're into control. Shut up. See? Make me sick. Honey. Don't give me the rollover, okay? When I say I'm thirsty, it means if anybody in the room has a glass of water, I'd love to have a sip. When I say I want to make love, it means let's screw. That's exactly the kind of thing I thought you would say. Besides, I don't like the word screw, okay? I prefer make love or fuck. I was, in the interview I was reading with her, she was very worried about the sex scenes because she felt that she was quote unquote exploited in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing in terms of like showing her naked. There is a lot of Rosie Perez naked and do the right thing. There's no yeah. question about that. There is, yeah. But in this movie, like, there is something artistic about the way he shoots the sex scenes between her and Woody Harrelson. I, I really do like the cinematography. And and the thing about the cinematography is that um, I don't really know much about the cinematographer, uh, Russell Boyd. I mean, he worked on, I think, Picnic and Hanging Rock. That's oh, really wow. the only movie that sticks out. He's done a bunch of movies I've never seen. But he apparently shot the movie in high speed and normal speed. So he shot in a hundred frames per second, which is pretty slow, I guess for the basketball scenes. 
But there is a little too much slow motion for my liking towards the end of the film when it comes to the big tournament. Yeah, that's fair. And he used a lot of steady can, you can tell. So, yeah, White Man Can't Jump. It's uh, it's a fun movie. I like it. I've seen it 40 plus times. It's got a good script. It's 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 got fast breaking trash talking uh banter between uh well between everyone really it's not just sydney and billy who talk fast and talk trash it's just about everyone oh, in the God, cast no. like anybody on the court and then rosie prez especially too you know i mean my, not my, that she, she doesn't talk trash she just talks fast but my, my, there's my, no way my... they follow the script though like there's no way all of these actors can follow a script because they're just no talking way. so fast I, uh, I have a hard time believing this is all written down on the page, my, my my favorite thing about the banter in this movie is that, and I think this is truly realistic. I don't think this is specific to basketball. When the trash talking gets going, it ping pongs so rapidly between like, yo mama's an astronaut. And then to like, if I was you, I'd wish I was fucking dead. Like <laughs> yeah. it's, just, it's zero to 60. It's goofy or it's just very, like very aggressive. It's funny when somebody gets set off finally, <laughs> when they really get set off when the trash talking gets to them like the astronaut thing what the how the hell is that an insult i i honestly don't know i don't know means. but like the the raymond scene is a prime example where he just gets like so fed up with all the the arguing on the court that he's just like fuck this i'm gonna get my gun and i'm gonna shoot all you motherfuckers well, <laughs> he, he goes to rob the convenience store first <laughs> the, the the moment when i knew that i was gonna like this movie was when 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 Re- when wesley snipes finally unpacks the astronaut thing a bit i think it's him uh, and he says, listen, when I say that your mom is an astronaut, I'm just trying to say you're all fucked up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something, yeah. something about that line in his I'm delivery. I'm not attacking your mom. I'm attacking yeah, I'm, you. I'm attacking you <laughs> in just, just in, ge- in a generalized way. I was so confused by that entire conversation, but it's fun to listen to regardless. Okay, I don't know if this movie started a whole mama joke. Phase. definitely not definitely i don't not. but i it, it made it popular i think because i don't remember any mama jokes prior to white man can't jump coming out but i don't know also he actually invited the cast of cheers on set because they would play ball every single day oh, and nice. they had a game they had a game it was the cheers cast versus everyone else Ooh. i would pay to watch that can you imagine it really depends which members of the cheers cast because i could i could imagine ted danson being a real a real terror ted danson was there ted danson Kirst, was there. kirstie alley is she out I, there on no the court? she wasn't there but george was there <laughs> oh that george went yeah he was there uh ted danson uh i don't know who else what about yeah. kelsey grammar was he a, ba- a baller you know, i don't know if kelsey grammar was there but i, I cannot imagine kelsey ted danson i could absolutely <laughs> imagine destroying on the basketball court but i can't imagine uh grammar getting involved in Wouldn't any, that be in funny any capacity if he, was, if he was just an absolute baller an absolute beast yeah no i can't see that <laughs> listen listen this movie was a nightmare for me when it came out because every okay i'm gonna tell one last ricky d basketball story okay so clearly every time you went to basketball court if you were the white guy it, you would always hear white men can't jump right it was because no one had any cre- creativity whatsoever so they just like recite the movie and there was this one time where this guy was so annoying right and it was just as good if not better than him on the court this guy was good don't get me wrong but he just thought I was a bad basketball player because I was white and I couldn't dunk. And this is when they lowered the net just a bit for whatever reason, like the city lowered the net. So most people were able to dunk. And during a game, I don't know how this happened. It's exactly like white man can't jump. Towards the end of the game, I somehow went up 
and dunked over this motherfucker. And everyone on the court lost their goddamn mind. He looks so stupid. And I, I got to tell you, I don't know how I did it. Because <laughs> I could not dunk the basketball for the life of me. It's like something just came over me. I can't explain it. And I actually ended up dunking over, over him. It was one of those things I will never forget. And I don't know how I did it. <laughs> well, but you know, in the movie, right? When, when he challenges him, he places the bet. He's like, you can't dunk the basketball. And that's when he actually says the name of the movie, Whiteman can't jump. Okay. Yeah. But so Wesley Snipes jumps up and he grabs the net, but just because you can touch the net or grab the net doesn't mean oh, you totally. can dunk. You, you got to get, get way your, above in order yeah, to actually dunk. You got to get your wrist, at least your wrist over the rim. So I'm not convinced that he could have even dunked the basketball on that, on that size uh, net. And that did not look official. And and every net that every time we see him dunk, by the way, we never see a shot of the ground. So we have no idea if he's jumping off of a crate or something like that and get, getting some assistance. He might actually just be play. sitting on a stool. It's uh, very with, possible. <laughs> that's, that's just being moved forward. It's very possible. So there's no proof that Wesley Snipes can dunk the basketball. Um, no, if, if this movie was ma- another thing that would be different about the movie now is that pe- because people are so much more concerned with realism they would have cast they would have either cast ball players or they would have gotten people really 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 trained up so that they could have long takes of them uh getting one basketball after another or whatever and one of the good things that they do is they show them actually they follow a shot through from the beginning to the end so they do they uh, yeah i notice uh, you you notice a couple times they'll have a long take where one of them will make a shot and then they'll the other one will make another one right afterwards it's like okay so they had a take where they each got a basketball in in sequence. But then if you think about it, it's like, well, that may have taken them three days. Yeah, we, <laughs> we got to cut the break. But the last thing I'm going to say before we cut the break is out of all the things that I found the hardest to learn in this movie. So I was able to do the in the air between your legs, put it into the basketball, uh, put it into the net. No problemo. But it was when Wesley Snipes spins twice. And while he's spinning, he's rotating the ball around his body twice at the exact same time. It took me forever to do that. So this had to be a situation where they just did it over and over and over and over and over until they finally got the right cut and and then, uh, you know, use that edit. At some point, you have to feel like maybe we're never going to get this. I want to just know one thing before we cut to break, Rick. Can you spin the basketball in your finger like that one guy can? No. Oh, okay. No. I always wish that I could do that. I never really practiced it, though, but I don't. All right, with that, let's take a quick, a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have our five questions, but here's another clip from White Men Can't Jump. I'm going to just leave it up there. Give me some. Give me some. You know I get Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, it is hard goddamn work being this good. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Oh, oh, rabbit ears, am I starting to get to you? No, Sydney, you aren't getting to me. You're just making my eardrums hurt. See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the backwards hat, the uh, gray socks, the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a chump, am I right? No, fucking geek. A, a fucking like. geek. Oh, geek, exactly, like all right? But what you don't realize is that it ain't easy. It is hard <laughs> goddamn work making something this pretty look like a chump or a geek. So I must be doing it for a reason. Well, you got me convinced, whatever the reason may be. Fact is, I missed this shot, I walk away, I'm still a chump. 
go ahead and walk away. But you miss, and you've been beat, well, not once, but twice by a slow, white, geeky chunk. <laughs> Ain't no thing. Ain't no thing. Sydney. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing on a string. I'm Burger King. Sydney, I noticed that that wind was kicking up a bit on my last shot. You might want to just about six, eight inches to the left. Here it is. This is the big one. All the money. Don't worry, Sydney. I've hustled a hell of a lot better players than you before. <laughs> Don't put up no brick. Hey, would you stop <laughs> yapping and let brother shoot? All right, that was another clip from White Men Can't Jump. We are at the portion of the podcast where we ask our five questions. Uh, we always like to start off with a positive question. I don't. I think we've been pretty positive on this movie anyway, even if we don't necessarily get it all the time. Um, Simon, what is your favorite scene from White Men Can't Jump? I think if I don't watch this movie again for five more years, despite all the trash talking and despite all the basketball playing, I really think the sequence that I'm going to come back to is the thrill of watching Rosie Perez absolutely dominate a scripted episode of Jeopardy. <laughs> I don't know why it's so exciting, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> Foods that start with Q. <laughs> and I'm like, the whole time, I'm just like, you got this, girl. You've been studying. You've I, been studying it, specifically foods that start with Q. Don't, he, don't, don't, uh, don't let, don't let Woody Harrelson, you know, uh, fuck up your game. What's great is that he starts it off making you your heart kind of sinks because they have that basketball question about Will Chamberlain and she says Babe Ruth and you're like, mm. oh my god, oh no, she's bricking it. Yeah, she doesn't know anything and then just turns it around and completely steamrolls everybody. Yeah, um, and so I'm I, I love go the looks that. on the two guys, by the way, especially the former champion. Is just like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, one of them is literally at one point just like, what is happening? He's a, he's a quote, rocket scientist. Yeah, and he's just like, she's gone so galaxy brain that like I can no longer process this. Like That's the level of domination they let her have for some reason. It's such a baffling choice, and I, I love it. Yeah, it is good. Um, Rick, what is yours? You must have a lot of favorite scenes. It's got to be kind of tough for you. Damn, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I love the entire film. I guess maybe the opening, which again is twenty minutes long. It's technically technically comprised of like three scenes, but that opening on the basketball court when Billy gets introduced to Sydney, he hustles him. They win the game. They crack a bunch of mama jokes. I don't know. I, I just think it's a a great if not interesting way to open up a movie, establish who these characters are, establish a setting, um, make it clear this is a basketball movie and you're going to get lots of great basketball and, or at least streetball. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know how your roommates couldn't get drawn in by that first scene. Cause that is one of the best scenes in the movie for sure. Uh, I don't know. I, well, I, 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 I scene gets me every time. Every I haven't seen this movie a ton, but when I have watched it, when it's come on television or something like that, it's always because that first scene gets me in. Well, and if you're, I would also say, in, in addition to being a, a good basketball movie or a good sports movie or a good Rosie Perez dominating a Jeopardy movie, um, it's also a very, very good hangout movie mm -hmm. of just watching. Uh, it's, a, it's a dude's rock, dude's hang movie of guys in their preferred habitat doing their preferred things. Um, and 
and the, the the trials and tribulations that go along with that, which I think makes it like it. I think that qualifies it as a hangout movie. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like my favorite scene is the scene where they go over to the house. That that's the scene that I would like to watch again. Oh, is, such a uh, good scene! Yeah, when Rosie Perez knocks on the door and Woody Harrelson is like sheepishly standing off to the side, he has to be pulled <laughs> in. <laughs> like he's just embarrassed to be there and confront somebody, even though he got conned and he should be angry. Uh, no, it's just part of the code, right? Yeah, and oh, the I women love are like and... they're like their parents. It's like yeah. their parents and their and their children. Yeah, the Literally. teenagers go to hang out in front of the television, and they sort of they get mad at each other and yell at each other until a great basketball play happens, and then all of a sudden yeah. they're all in the and the it's and then the die like the the women go and have the adult conversation where they make the decisions that will govern the plot. That's that's right. But I like the way the two women talk to each other too. Like they aren't they they sit. It's almost like this is a Cold War meeting between Russia yes. and the U.S. Like there's there's a tension there. They're not just instant best friends, and they don't hang out again for the rest of the movie. You never see those two women together. No, because why would they be friends? It's it's such a that's a classic mistake that uh, a lot of movies like this would make. Is oh there's there's two women and they've they've got annoying boyfriends or husbands to deal with. Mm-hmm. Clearly they're going to bond, but it's like no. Often people don't bond because they're very different yeah and they're they're backing up their team which is you know their boyfriend or their husband and so yeah there's a yeah there's no there's no solidarity nope not at all they're they're kind of going against each other and they do form a compromise a pact but again they never see each other again after that if, if i remember right so that's mine for sure um if there was one thing you could change about this movie i'm gonna go with rick first in this one because this is for a guy who watched this movie so many times rick if there's one thing you could change what would it be oh wow this is hard i might say not too much slow motion in the final uh final tournament game that they play because they finally beat you know the two legendary basketball players like maybe get rid of a little bit of slow motion um just a quick side mention i'm not sure if this is something i would add because i know the questions change but there is this like subplot happening in the background in which someone screws over Sydney and his wife because clearly one of the people whoever it was that robbed them was somebody that they know it's either like Raymond or it's Junior or it's George it's one of those guys like like they're dropping clues in the background that whoever robbed them is someone they know and it's someone that they play ball with and that their neighbors saw I, yeah. forgot, I totally forgot about that little that incident because right. it doesn't ever get resolved or really come up again my theory is that it's junior because at one point in time the way he starts trash talking junior and making fun of junior and then later junior which by the way junior is kadeem hardison's character he's later in the tournament he's actually playing against sydney the um i love that that's just another thing that this movie contains is like a little self-contained mystery that is never solved yeah, it's kind of odd. It's just they, floating they, in the they, background. They put some focus on it for that one scene, and she's yelling at the neighbor saying, I know it's you It's just all like, seen. it's a little Easter egg for the attentive viewer, which I appreciate. I'm convinced yeah. that they were thinking about making a sequel because it's there's so many things that are left open-ended. Like the fact that uh, Gloria is still still needs to get back on Jeopardy. The fact that they broke up but are they really over over the fact that uh, does this mean that sydney and billy are going to continue their partnership and if so can they still do it in that area of venice beach now that everybody knows their their game um who robbed uh who robbed 
Sydney and his wife. Did Sydney actually leave the neighborhood? There's all of these like this movie is begging for a sequel. It's too bad they never you, made it. You know, no, 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 no. You know what it's begging for? It's begging for a, a reboot series on FX, uh, <laughs> which I think is actually a good idea. And you could even still have Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes in it. Interesting. Playing their characters. Yeah. Oh, I could totally see that. Ron, is Ron Shelton still alive? He'd love I, to run that. I believe so, yeah. Oh, my I'm God. Not sure what he's yeah. Doing, but Ron, give us a call. If he's not brain dead, uh, it's, it could totally work. <laughs> uh, for me, like, I don't like you, uh, Simon. I don't mind having that plot hole. I completely forgot about it, the robbery thing. But I don't mind having that be a mystery um, because it just sort of paints some local flavor, too. And it just shows their interactions with their neighbors and some, some of their friends and stuff like that. Um, I would have liked to change the gangster subplot a little bit, though, because there's a lot of emphasis put on it at the beginning, it seems like. Yeah. There's even an action scene where they have to escape their, their apartment or their motel room. Yeah. And then it's just sort of, it fizzles out completely. And I do like the, the, the way it ends up with the guys not really being violent and they just want to take yeah. this picture and make it look like they're violent. But I, I another, just, another thing that ends up being a feint towards how, uh, what the stakes are. Yeah, which is great. But I feel like he didn't know quite how to balance that subplot in there. So for me, I would either decrease its importance or increase its importance a little bit, but just sort of balance it out in both, both halves of the movie. Yeah, you know, now that I've had a few more seconds to think about it, I'm going to say it one more time so that I can uh, ease my intention out into the universe. FX, make a white man can't jump series. Bring back Rosie Perez, Wesley Snipes, and Woody Harrelson as the same characters 30 years later uh, with some with some young hustlers out there. I think I, I would watch that. They were trying to they they were trying to do a sequel like 30 years later. I'm not sure oh, what happened to it, or at least that was a rumor. But they wanted to, yeah. Well, thirty years later is like now, right? But so let's let's make it happen. If you want to talk about things that don't make sense, what I don't understand is okay, the Suchi brothers don't really make sense because how did they follow Rosie Perez or Woody Harrelson's characters all the way to California when they're from like Louisiana, and then they're not even really criminals. They are, but they're not really going to kill them. Like it just seems so far fetched. And also, I don't understand how how you get by hustling people if that's the only way you make income because in the opening scene he hustles sydney for 68 dollars like that's yeah. enough to last you a day that's not much yeah. oh you know what that really reminded me of it reminded me of uh in showgirls when <laughs> no i swear to god in uh when um elizabeth berkeley and Gina Gershon have this whole dance around the issue of price and like, what are you worth? And I feel like when, when Woody Harrelson comes up and he tries to hustle him for out of $62 or whatever, uh, it's like, it's like he's Elizabeth Berkeley and Wesley Snipes is Gina Gershon looking at his paltry amount of, of money yeah. and just getting like, and kind of get, getting a little snooty and possibly a little turned on. Maybe I should just go watch Showgirls again. <laughs> Uh, I mean, obviously they play for much bigger stakes later, so that is funny. And Rick, I think what he was trying to do, I'm not sure he was trying to make a living that way, but he was trying to get the money to pay back uh, the gangsters. Yeah, it wasn't a long-term plan. Yeah, but you're right. I don't think you could make a living. I'm not sure how many basketball courts are in the Los Angeles greater area that you could go around and hustle 
at maybe there's quite a few. Well, I mean, it just seems like can, the worst place to go. Like if you're going to hustle people, go somewhere where rich people live. I guess so. I, I mean, they were pulling out like a grand though. What, one of those bets was like $1,700 or something. But that's what doesn't make any sense about it because apparently they live in a neighborhood where they're trying to get out because they're struggling and poor and like there's crime and yet they can put down $1,000 onto a basketball game. The, yeah, um, I, I don't know. One aspect of this movie that I think has aged really well slash like I think would like meet with approval today is the fact that like Woody Harrelson's character is the one that's struggling and Wesley Snipes seems to have like a pretty like pretty steady like at least lower middle class income. Um uh, just yeah, like got just a, he's got a job. He's his from own his very we, he at least has various hustles. Like he has and and like you know legitimate hustles. Uh right. and he, se- he seems to get by like fairly comfortably. Like yes, he does lose a little bit of money on the basketball court now and again, but he's certainly not scrambling and desperate the way Woody is. No, and I, I from what I understand, he's got a construction company, right? That he at least like he does certain things. I'm he's not a sure man he's... of many hats. Most of his most of his life is hidden from view in this movie, which is very interesting. You know what I didn't understand is when he originally pulls up to that restaurant and you see all the Mexican workers outside and they're all you know yelling at the, him their rate and everything like that, and they all want work. And I was thinking, why are they asking him for work? You don't actually mm. figure out he works in construction until afterwards when he's having the conversation with that guy about tile. Uh, yeah, it's like it's something the movie like sort of builds mystery and uh, maybe not quite suspense around, but like it certainly hides things from you at certain times, which is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, all right. So MVP time. This could be a lot of different things, really. Who wants to go first? I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna allow a tie, it's gonna be Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. If you may if you force me to choose between the two. Oh boy. Actually I, I don't know if I can. Because I know you would say Wesley Snipes. I think I'm gonna say Woody Harrelson. I mean I probably would. Wesley Snipes stands out more to me than Woody Harrelson does, and I feel like other people could have played Harrelson's I role, but feel like Woody Harrelson's character would be harder to cast and get this sort of quote-unquote perfection because he still needs to have the chemistry with Rosie Perez and the chemistry with Wesley Snipes. So say you replace him with Matthew McConaughey because I always think those two guys are so much alike, maybe because of True Detective, I don't know why. Would he have the same chemistry with Wesley Snipes and Rosie Perez that Woody Harrelson does? Like I think like Woody Harrelson's like that centerpiece. Yeah, maybe, but he's a centerpiece. He's so crucial because he you need to believe in both relationships. And with mm-hmm. Wesley Snipes, I mean, I I can see them casting Denzel. It'll be somewhat of a different movie, but I could still see it happening, especially because Denzel was not He Got Game a few years later. I feel like it would be harder for Denzel to do the goofy side, to win you over, to charm you in that way. Like Denzel trash talking is intense. Oh, for sure. But yeah. Denzel is intense, period. Like it would be a different right. performance. Yeah, it would, so it would make it a much different movie, I feel like, that wouldn't be nearly as successful. Uh, Snipes brings that goofiness and a lot of charm to that role in what could otherwise be seen as, you know, mean-spirited. I just think it's got to go to the to the cast and not, like, I mean, because usually we go back and forth between the director, cinematographer, and the editor, like the crew and the cast. And I think with White Man Can't Jump, it's really a movie that lives and dies on its cast. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
Yeah, because it's hard for me to know how much of that trash talking was in the script. I mean, if they were speaking word for word what was on the page, then I'd have to say Ron Shelton, the writer. <laughs> well, I can tell you right now that it's... There's it's, no way I believe that. It's 90%, if not more, ad-lib than improv, because in the interview and the oral history on the, that was published on Grantland, uh, he says that, like they would never follow the script. And there was one time where they actually said something from the script and he, he called cut. He's like, Oh my God, you actually delivered a line. That's actually in the screen. Yeah. <laughs> you fucking loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that's the case, well, Simon, who do you go with then? Well, you know, I'm, I'm the woman respecter of the podcast. So I'm going to stick with Rosie Perez. Uh, <laughs> if only because I just think, if you if you watched an edit of this film that that removed her subplot and removed what she brings to this movie, it would still be a fun movie, but it wouldn't be anywhere near as memorable to me. Um, she's she just she brings such an oddball energy uh, to her subplot that is just like like often like usually it, it, it like usually what she gets to do like the the girlfriend's role or subplot or whatever is almost always the weakest part of a movie like this because mm-hmm. uh, it usually feels perfunctory um not yeah it's not necessarily bad it's just like kind of tossed off and uh the actor who gets stuck with it maybe isn't super inspired by it because it's not very interesting and here like the opposite of that happens yeah and i think i mean i think her character is what's the most fun in this movie uh but it also she's very important for woody harrelson's character because i don't think that he necessarily creates his character as well as she does she creates yeah, this character. Absolutely. And uh, another, my, uh, did I even name a best scene? I don't remember. Oh, yes, I didn't name oh, yeah, Jeopardy. Did. But if my yeah. runner up would be uh, when, would be the moment when Sydney figures out that she's Billy's weakness, which is a very obvious thing for him to figure out. But the way he figures it out and what he does after he figures it out mm-hmm. is just like beautifully acted so funny so so very funny <laughs> um so do you so guys... wait, wait wait hold on a yeah. second so simon you're picking rosie perez i'm picking woody harrelson and patrick are you picking wesley snipes i'm gonna go with wesley snipes then okay yeah. that's, so that, that's well why we got the, the trifecta cast. yeah we might as well have the whole cast because it's yeah. hard to you know it's hard to disagree with any any yeah. one of i gotta things. say i'm very disappointed that woody harrelson and uh wesley snipes never made a third film it should have been a trilogy. Yeah, what was the other one? What was Money Train? Was Money Train. Yeah, they were in, they were in Wildcats, but it doesn't really count because it was like they were, they didn't have like is, big worlds. Is Money Train good? Uh, I don't remember it being good. I don't remember it being good either. I don't remember it being terrible though. I just remember it being generic. But I only saw it when it came out, so <laughs> I'm going off of decades worth of memory here. Fair enough. Uh, great movie time, guys. Everybody's favorite question. Does this pass the Howard Hawks test? Yes. Three great scenes and no bad ones. Yes, I think yes. I mean, I think yes, too. I can't think of a bad scene. And in my opinion, there's three great scenes. Some people would argue no, depending on your love of basketball. But I do think there's three great scenes here. I think there is three great scenes. My only possible bad scene, and I was thinking about this as I was watching the movie, <laughs> is the very last scene of playing basketball. Remember, Rick, you said that you wish that they'd use less slow motion? Yep. I thought that that was an absolute phone it in ending as far as the actual basketball playing to 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 this movie that was building towards something. 
Uh, I thought the rest of this, the basketball scenes had some good drama going in on in, but they didn't really, they didn't do anything with the last basketball scene special. To, to I, I personally, I kind of like that the last basketball scene is so casual. Yeah. The uh, the most interesting piece of trivia I read on the movie this week is this is one or this was one of Stanley Kubrick's favorite movies. I saw oh, that too. That rules. <laughs> uh, and that the for yeah for some reason the old guys really loved Ron Shelton. Like there's also that bit of trivia about uh, Gene Wilder and Bull Durham. Like Gene Wilder fucking loved that movie. Or uh, B- Billy Wilder, rather. Billy Wilder. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people do. Baseball, America's sport. It's a good movie. Yeah, young Foster. baseball players still list Bull Durham as the best baseball movie of all time. Uh, I don't think there is a movie that gets baseball more than, than Bull Durham. But, that makes uh, me think that the movie must be very boring. <laughs> you know what? It's not as much about baseball as you'd think. That's the odd thing. You don't really get like this. Well, no, a lot of basketball I, I, teams, I assume like, yeah, there's a baseball. there's a lot of basketball in this movie, but I don't think it is, is a movie about basketball. Yeah. And Bull Durham's not about baseball. It just happened. And it's minor league. So it's even more fun. Um, there there is one baseball movie that some people now choose over Bull Durham. It's Moneyball. Yeah, Moneyball is a different kind of baseball movie, though. But Moneyball's not about the game of baseball. Moneyball's about the business of baseball. And Moneyball's wait, 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 great. Yeah. It's an amazing movie. I picked it as one of my ten best for the Hello, decade. a but... league of their own, obviously. <laughs> I'll take Tom Hanks, but the rest of the, the, rest of the cast clearly can't play baseball. It's hard to watch them. As a, as a guy who played baseball, it's really hard to watch them. My favorite baseball movie is A Sandlot. All right. Um, <laughs> My favorite so, baseball movie is Brockmire. <laughs> Brockmire is pretty good, though. <laughs> uh, so do do you think that this movie is going to like last? Do you think this movie is going to keep an audience going forward? Absolutely. Absolutely. Will white men can't jump live on. Or is it? You know, you know why? No, you know, here's the thing. I'll give you oh, a million reasons why. First of all, it's a time capsule. Just looking at the way they dress, the clothes. The, uh, the even like the mama jokes, like it's it's like such a 90s movie. It's like a snapshot of what playing street ball in the 90s was like. Again, the fact that it came out a year before hip hop exploded, a year before and one mixtapes exploded. But is it two 90s? Is it two 90s? It's also the year before NBA no, Jam came s- out. See, right? the thing is, I think one 90s nostalgia is absolutely a thing. Yeah. Uh, two. Unlike so many other things from the period or even from a little later, there's really nothing in this movie that would piss anyone off. Like if they if you actually watch it, like it's it's pretty toothless in like a in a fun way. It's a star making performance for Woody Harrelson because prior to this, he was in a few movies with minor roles. He was really the, the fifth man on Cheers. After this, he was starring in like all of these huge movies like Natural Born Killers, The People versus Larry Flint. Like this made him a, a huge star. It's Wesley Snipes at his absolute best. Like, I'm sorry, like New Jack City, he's great in that movie, but the movie is not that good. That movie doesn't stand a test of time. Demolition Man. He's outstanding in that movie. I mean, Blade. He's been in some good stuff, (laughs) man. But the thing is, at the end of the day, this movie has the most exciting basketball of any basketball movie. 
And in terms of a sports film, it's not your, your traditional sports movie. It's not about like the underdog trying to overcome the obstacles and winning the big game. Yeah. And it's, and it's not even about a professional league of any kind, which no. is, which makes it very different from most other sports films right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's about like, it's, it's really about the culture that revolves around the basketball court, like streetball, like, I have not yet seen anything that comes close to white men can't jump in terms of capturing what it's like playing street ball and just how fun it is. Like, and that's why I love playing basketball. Like it's, it's the easiest sport to play and still have a good time because you just need the ball and the net, right? Football, you need a whole entire team. Soccer, you need a whole entire team. Hockey, you know, you need ice (laughs) and an entire team, (laughs) you know, so on and so forth. I, I just, something about basketball, like it's, it's just, it makes sense. It makes sense that so many people gravitate towards it because it's an easy uh, sport to pick up and play because all you need is a ball. And it does have this own sort of like culture to it that makes it appealing, you know, be it like the hip hop music, the graffiti, um, just like the trash talking, the, the actual moves. Like I find like I personally love basketball, Patrick, as you know, but I find it's poetic, like the way everybody moves, the dribbles and everything. I love hockey. Also, I love most sports. But when it comes to actually watching, I get what you mean about scoring 100 points. It's different in an NBA game, but with streetball, it's completely different. Like, it's more poetic. That's why the N1 mixtapes blew up, because it's like poetry in motion. The um, Has anything changed about, because we're talking about the, the audience for this movie, has anything changed in the last 20, 25 years in terms of uh, the aesthetic, the attitude? okay we're running long but i'm gonna tell the story i was telling patrick the story off air yesterday i went to the basketball court and you know shot around by myself for about an hour and then a bunch of kids i know these kids are like my nephew's friends friends anyways a bunch of delinquents came to the basketball court and (laughs) nothing has changed since 1992 1993 they are what me and my friends were like back then same court you know what i mean like they walked into court Yap, 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 arguing, 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 insulting each other, making fun of each other, talk, talk, talk. It took them fucking a half an hour to even try to get the game started. Nothing has changed. <laughs> like, it's the same <laughs> thing. They got their ghetto blast. Well, instead of a ghetto blaster, they had their little like um, it's Bluetooth like little- speaker. Or yeah, whatever. exactly. You know, instead of a ghetto blaster, but they're still blasting like hip hop music. They're still yapping away. Everyone thinks they're good. No one's good. They- everyone thinks they can dunk. No one can dunk. <laughs> everyone, everyone. It's about looking good, wearing the new shoes, the new gear, the new hat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh my god, nothing's changed. So, in other words, Woody Harrelson was wrong, and everyone just likes to look good. <laughs> exactly i wonder i would be fascinated to see some of these kids want to know I'd, well, I'd like to know first of all if they've seen the movie and second i'd like to know if they you know what they think of this movie if it seems hokey to them if it seems dated but it sounds like if the culture is the same then i can't see how this movie wouldn't still be a classic uh, you know for for certain people my, my nephew said this to me last year he watched white men can't jump for the first time by himself i didn't recommend it to him Mm-hmm. And uh, he was like, Rick, I can tell that you grew up in the 90s or you you watch White Man Can't Jump. I'm like, why? He's like, because of the way you play. It's all razzle-dazzle, fancy-fancy, like behind the back passes and stuff. <laughs> so, in fact, the movie helped shape the tactics. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Simon, like the N1 mixtapes came out not long after. And that was like, basically, they just filmed a bunch of guys at Rucker Park in New York City, like, you know, the granddaddy, like the, 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 the place to play basketball, outdoor basketball. It's like the place to go. And those mixtapes were passed around and it was like the best of the best street ballers just doing the craziest like tricks on the court. And 
everything blew up after one man can't jump. Like this movie really had an impact on the basketball scene big time. And still does to this very day. I mean, like I'm telling you, I'm, I, I, they were trying to make a sequel to this movie. Yeah. I, I mean, good sports movies, obviously. Well, I shouldn't say traditional sports movies always have some kind of like uplifting, you know, like you said, there's the underdog against the, he was going to go play the big game and he's going to win. He's not only going to win at the game, he's going to win at life. And that's what sports movies usually are. This one's very different. So I'm curious as to how it'll hold up because it's not doing that. The, the greatest, the greatest sports movie and basketball movie ever is hoop dreams. I think, I think that movie, it just captures yeah. um, the struggle and the journey of what it takes to make it to the NBA. And he's an, uh, an, an incredibly talented documentary filmmaker, um steve james steve yeah. james i mean that movie is like one of the greatest movies ever made i mean so for me it's like if i were to ever recommend two movies about basketball it would be hoop dreams and white man can't jump here's the here's the documentary the gritty real story of this kid trying to make the nba and it's fascinating and here's this really fun movie about streetball uh, you know, for the people who know they'll never make the NBA, but they try to form their own little, like own little world, own little bubble on the court. And it's like two different views of basketball. And if none of the basketball works for you like this, this experience teaches you that you don't care about basketball. And in fact, you hate basketball. Uh, you still get an episode of Jeopardy out of it. <laughs> exactly. You'll learn about what a, you'll learn what a quince is. Um, all right, we should probably wrap things up. Uh, Simon, can we find you online anymore still, or are you not on Letterboxd? I'm just going to say no this time. Uh, and also Patrick, I know you've got pick next week. I'm not telling you what to do, but I will say I have very much enjoyed our little streak of nineties films. And I'd like to keep the streak going for a bit if we can. (laughs) I was thinking of going earlier than that. But I could. I was gonna. I was gonna give a pick, and I'll talk to you guys about this off. Yeah. Uh, you know, off the podcast. I, I, had, I had several choices. Excellent. I love choices. But uh, uh, I am occasionally writing reviews for Goombastomp.com, Sorted Cinema, uh, Tilt Magazine. Check that out. Um, Rick, where can they find the podcast and you? Everything's over at SortedCinema.com. All the links, the, the the archive of the podcast dating back to episode 500. Anything prior to 500, I'm slowly uploading to the um, the actual audio feed and on uh, YouTube. But, I mean, like, we got at least 100 episodes that are still up that people can listen to. And I'm going to continue to pick 90s movies because I just love the decade of the 90s. And uh, it's fun to talk about 90s movies. All right. We will be back next week with whatever whatever we decided I've picked. <laughs> we'll see you then. Hard goddamn work. Now my shirt, baby. Yeah, you played a good game. You guys played a really good game. You dead, motherfucker. Hey, man, take it easy. Hard goddamn work. Yeah, you did. Hey, man, hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. You set me up. Go cut me. Go cut me. Yo, hey, hey. You set me up. Look, look, look. Raymond, Raymond. Now, I seen you hustle, man. Hey, I ain't never used no goofy white motherfucker like that. Hey, who you calling goofy white motherfucker? Hey, you, you okay, goofy man, white motherfucker. Let's go. Wait a minute, hold on. Wait a minute, this is ridiculous, man. Look, Raymond, we are brothers, man. I swear to God, man, I have never seen this white boy before in my life. Sydney, you out of your mind negotiating with the guy with the blade? You got a wife and kid, man. How do you know my name? And how come he's talking about your family? What? Wait a minute. 
You're talking about my wife and kid, and you don't know me? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Cut this motherfucker. Yo, cut that motherfucker right there. Nah, nah, fuck this. Both you motherfuckers are crazy. I'm going to my car, get my other gun, shoot everybody's ass. Raymond! 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 Oh shit, man, y'all better-